think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Quick by the drives it down now. Long we over. What a goal! What a goal! saved it in. Barry Ferguson does this again, and it's there. And here comes up, chance goal. Well, this isn't the Hamden Road podcast we were all hoping for. Scotland won't be going to Qatar to play in the World Cup this winter, beaten by Ukraine convincingly and comfortably at Hampton last night, 3-1 the final score. So we're going to try and dig into the issues that Scotland and Steve Clark have at the moment in the cold light of day. Pleased to say that we're welcomed by Alan Risk from the Air Force One page, Ben Ramage, SFSA writer, and also for the first time, Barry Anderson, Edinburgh Evening News and avid Tartan Army member. Barry, thanks for coming along for the first time. We'll uh, we'll get straight into it. Guys, this was a poor Scotland performance. I think that's pretty unanimous throughout the entire fan base. Didn't turn up on the big occasion. Ben, I'm not going to bother asking you for the positives right now. I want you to just tell me what you think our biggest problem was last night what thoroughly unimpressed you about that game oh it's it's hard to pick just one (laughs) I think um what really annoyed me was when you look at the Denmark game I kind of thought thought that was like us in fifth gear that was pretty much a perfect performance and if you compare that to last night it was kind of like we barely got out of first gear we just there was so so many bad performances and I know they're not trying but it just seemed to combine we had no answer to Ukraine's quality and their intensity I think you know they really schooled us um I think we really underestimated them I think that was part of the problem I think we thought that a lot of their players were going to be knackered but the majority of their players had actually been playing in the top leagues in Europe and you could see that they were not struggling one bit and they really ran through us so it was a mixture of, I think they were better than we expected and we just didn't hit the heights that, that we can do. So it's just bitterly disappointing. Barry, after 15 or 20 minutes, it was before Ukraine had taken the lead, but Gordon had made a few important saves. Did you start to wonder what's going on here? Yeah, I think around about that point, it was quite obvious by then that the Ukrainians were just that bit sharper. They were a gear ahead of us. Um, and overall, I just... I think the break that they've had, however many weeks it's been, um, I haven't, I haven't actually counted, but it's been a number of weeks where they haven't had, you know, the, the the just the pressures and the physical demands of club football, internationals, European games, blah blah. Um, I know that some of the players have 
have obviously still been playing those games, but the majority of them, the domestic-based guys, have had such a long period off, and I think that showed uh, right throughout the game last night. I just thought Scotland looked like a team, a team of guys playing at the end of a long season with fatigue setting in, and Ukraine looked like a guys, a bunch of guys coming out of a preseason ready to start a new campaign. That's that's how how I took it, and and you're right from pretty much from fifteenth minute. 20 minutes maybe at the most um, that, that was obvious and we were we were second best second best in every area of the park if you ask me Alan a lot of the the chat and the build up to the game few, it was futile in the end I think it was clear to see that Clark probably wouldn't change his starting formation the 3-5-2 is what he's become favoured to over the last 18 months two years it's not a redundant talking point to ask without Kieran Tierney is that the best way to play. Cooper was the one that was filled in last night. McKenna has played there for Forest all season, but maybe too tired after the playoff final. Um, so Tierney is really the reason that we play that formation, isn't it? If, if Tierney didn't exist, we'd have a flat back four and Robertson would play left back. But we have to get them both in the team. That's the, the way that it has been done. Is it right or wrong to, con- to continue and persist with that even when Tierney's not in the equation because when Scotland went to a flat back four last night for maybe the final, I don't know, half an hour, however long it was, we actually started to take part in the game and looked like we might be able to cause a few problems. Yeah, it's definitely not a redundant question. I mean, um, when you look at it, our best period of the game, whether whether that was combined with sort of Ukrainian fatigue, um, I think it was about 55 minutes in, we made the switch um, to the flat back four and from there, they were still finding space, um, but we created more chances. Um, I think, um, yeah, we can look at it and say it was uh, Tierney was a miss. It obviously was a miss. Um, I mean, we've not had any game time without him um, to practice anything else. And I guess that's sort of when you find a formation that works and we use it so well for so long, that's just going to be one of the things we have to deal with from it. But um it's as as other guys have said, there was issues all over the park. I mean, Ukraine looked sharper. They were finding space. Zinchenko was phenomenal all night, and I wouldn't even say he had to play his best. Um, he was just exceptional. He's finding spaces. He was sort of floating um, around um, and getting behind um, Gilmore and McGregor so easily, um, as were um, some of the other players, Malinowski especially. But uh, yeah, I think it was a uh, uh, we need what we'd like to see, and it's probably come to it's come too late. Um, the Nations League is a time to try a new formation, embed something else in. But last night, it's hard to say whether we should have started with back four, but it certainly looked better um, once we changed it. Is it unfair, Ben? Is this too reactive? Because three five two worked well in the qualifiers. I mean, we've just won six games in a row, so took Denmark to the cleaners with one of the best hand in Scotland performances in a long time. So. Clearly, it has its benefits, and there's evidence there to back that up. The the pivotal point is, with or without KT, do we tailor the entire starting eleven for whether he's included or not? Yeah, I think it works when you have the right personnel. I think it really works when we have our strongest eleven. I think as soon as you take Tierney out, you just see it all kind of falls apart. I think he actually really dovetails so well with Robertson. He almost masks Robertson. If Robertson makes a wee mistake, Tierney's there. Tierney's a little bit more naturally attacking, I think. He, he's desperate to get forward every time. So it just works so well. If you take one of them away, 
I think Robbo is a weaker player for Scotland without Tierney. And I think McTominay playing at right centre-back as well, that just it just doesn't work for me anymore. I think it worked when we needed it, but I think we have other options. For me, Suter should, Suter should be nailed down in that position for me. If, if McTominay is starting over Suter when Suter is fit, I would be seriously worried. Um, I think that whole, he would have helped Hickey out a lot more as well. I think Hickey was, I think he was unfairly criticised for me. I think he was so isolated so often and McTominay at right centre-back wasn't giving him the kind of cover that a centre-back should. If there was a, a natural centre-back on that right side, I think we would have been a lot more solid. So I think, I think the system still works, but I think you need our best personnel, especially to be a, a better team like Ukraine. Where, where do you stand on this, Barry? Because you'll have seen a lot of John Suter, and that, this is maybe a bit of revisionism here. When that team was announced last night, there probably I think I think a lot of people were quite pleased to see the two up top with Dykes and Adams, thinking, "Oh, gung ho attitude! Here we go! Let's take the game to them." Didn't really work out. Most people wanted Hickey, I think, because he's got more attacking bones in him than Stephen O'Donnell does, and we thought excellent up and down that right flank. Again, didn't really materialise that way. McTominay at centre half, as as Ben rightly points out, was. Uh, a bit of a contentious introduction to the Scotland team, but we perhaps grew to feel a bit of comfort there because he'd started to grow into the jersey. But with a fit suitor, should he be playing on the right side of the, the back three? Because if you look across that back five last night, four out of five of them are playing in positions that they don't play in for their club. Hickey, yes, he can move from one side to the other, but he plays left wing back. McTominay's a midfielder. Hanley, centre back. And then Cooper plays left side of a duo, and Robertson plays left side of a back four. So there's really a lot of mix and match in there. Yeah, I, I agree, Andy. A little bit of square pegs and round holes in a lot of cases across that back line last night. Um, Suter, for me, when fully fit as a starter for Scotland, absolutely. Um, ahead of McTominay at right centre-back, if you're playing a back three. I can partly understand why Steve Clark maybe just didn't want to risk that, given that he'd been out for over two months at club level and had only played one game, albeit it was 120 minutes in a Scottish Cup final and he was excellent. Um, so I can, I would probably still have taken the risk, but I'm maybe saying that with hindsight now a little bit as well. I can understand why before the game, Steve Clark was probably just been a little bit conservative. On the left side, the if I think this has been proven now, Scotland are a different team if you're playing a back three, they're a different team when Tierney's not there. And that's a huge concern. We saw it last summer in the opening game of the, the Euros against the Czechs. And it's not a slight on Liam Cooper. It's not his position. His attributes aren't, don't lend itself to you know, a, a left-sided centre-back in a back three coming out, distributing and overlapping, underlapping, blah, blah. So um, it just when, when Tierney's not there, we just don't. We're not the same attacking threat, as daft as it sounds when, you, when you're talking about a defender here. I would really like to see Stephen Kingsley come into that role. No, I'm not. Before people say, and I watch Hearts every week, and this isn't about you know whether I think I, I watch loads of teams. You know, I watch highlights of every Scottish game, and I watch English games and European games. Any game that a Scottish player is involved in, I'll try and see it. Um, and I and I genuinely believe that Kieran, uh, that Stephen <clears> Kingsley <throat> is the closest thing that we have to Kieran Tierney. I'm not saying that he's at Kieran Tierney's level of quality because I don't think he is, but his attributes are the closest that we have to Kieran Tierney's. He's comfortable on the ball, similar height, similar agility, similar pace, um, gets forward well, distributes well from the back, capable of underlapping and overlapping a wing back on outside him. So would would tick so many of those boxes that I don't see anybody else ticking. 
And that's not a slight on McKenna, who I think is actually a really good season at Forest and is unlucky not to be in that team last night. But the, the, the left centre-back role is a huge problem when Tierney's not there. Yeah, and I think that's why, I think, on the lips of a lot of people today is, do we have a plan B, or maybe a plan A, but a plan B ready to leap into action when Tierney's unavailable? Because last night we didn't have that, as you're saying, maybe Kingsley could have done it, Barry, but we didn't have that driving out from defence on the left-hand side. We've seen Tierney do it so often, and I don't want to make this a KT-centric podcast because the poor guy wasn't playing, but it's such a gaping cause for concern in the Scotland team that I think we have to try and figure out what we do when he's not playing. Steve Clark's obviously used so much brain power in trying to figure out and then instill and utilise a system for him that now we need one without him, Alan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think just to avoid going down the whole KT route, it's, there was issues across the park last night um, which probably emphasised um, Katie's absence. Um, I think uh, the, the point made earlier about um, start, choosing to start Hickey now. Hickey was there on merit. Um, he's performed in some big, big games at right wing back. So there was a lot of comments about it being an experiment. It's not. He's, he's played there. He's played well there. But he didn't have a, like a natural uh, right centre back alongside him to just give him that bit of protection. And I think that's caused a lot of issues. And even we all watched the game last night and I think it's not unfair to say that we didn't get much early on from the referee. Um, but what we found was McTominay coming out from that, that right, right centre-back position, going on runs and coming going down and maybe a little bit too easily for a foul that was never going to be given. Um, and it happened once or twice here. So I think there was a bit, it was a bit of sort of inexperience in terms of knowing uh, how they were going to be treated in the game. But um, yeah, there's positions all over the park um, and you can go into each single player and look at it and spend all day talking about that. Um, well, let's, yeah. let's, uh, let's, let's move on to, to, to up top then. Ben, you are quite vocal in your hopes for that. Not the only one. I think, as I said earlier, it's quite a, a signal of intent, I think, sticking Dykes up there alongside Adams to try and ruffle the Ukrainian feathers. But in the first half, well, only the first half because Dykes went off at halftime, but it really didn't materialise at all in the way that we hoped. It was pretty much a game of hoofball to Dykes, which completely nullifies the abilities of McGregor and Gilmore as well in midfield to get the ball down, play from one side to the other, open the game up and get things going and play through the lines. And when Dykes was winning his headers as well, which he wasn't bad at last night, I'm not saying he didn't um, challenge or get many headers in, but when he did win them, the second balls were being picked up by yellow jerseys three, four times out of five. Yeah, I, honestly, I hold my hands up because, you know, you get it wrong. I was so confident that I thought two up top was going to work. But again, I think it comes down to the underestimating the opponents. When we play a better team than ourselves, we really have to win the midfield battle, which is exactly why we could have done with a Christie. And you saw when Christie and Armstrong came on, I think we, we did play better. We got on the ball more often. Um I don't think Dykes was fully fit. I'm not sure, you know, the fact he went off at halftime, I don't know if that was purely tactical or not. To me, he wasn't closing down as much as you normally see him. You know, he's normally charging everything down and he wasn't doing that. For their first goal, he kind of stood off. I mean, him and Adams both stood off, but they just let um, Malinowski just have the the freedom of Hampton and a player of that quality, you know, he's going to pick a pass. That, That first goal, watching it back, 
the pass is perfect the timing of the run is perfect the finish is perfect it's a it's a very very high quality goal but if the press was right he wouldn't have had so long to pick that pass and if you so if we're going to play the two up front they had to both be busting a gut because McGinn had a lot more space to cover I think they just worked it out and they were just passing it around us so easy so yeah, it, it just didn't work. It was it was a shame. I thought Adams I thought Adams had a decent enough game, but again, he was very isolated a lot, and you could see he was totally knackered by the end of it. It was it was one of McGinn's quieter games for Scotland. Actually, would would probably class him as a bit of a passenger, to be honest. Especially in the first half, he felt like he barely saw the ball, and when he did, it was it was often just winning a foul and trying to get Scotland further up the park. Do you think that he needs somebody like Christie alongside him, Barry, to give him? a bit more freedom, maybe keep the, some of the attention of the opposition off him solely in that position between midfield and the striker? Yeah, possibly. Um, I, I think that what, what Ben was saying there, just about the midfield not really getting the influence that they should have been able to get in there, I think that probably dictated Scotland going longer towards Dykes more than maybe they would have intended to. Um, and and McGinn was certainly a part of that because McGinn. I thought McGregor had a, had an okay game. I thought he he was one of the better Scotland players. Um, Gilmore was off it. McGinn was off it. Um, and so so if you're not if you're not controlling the midfield, if if you if you're not playing through your midfield, then the tendency is from the back to say, well, well, it's not really working going through midfield. We're not sharp enough in there. We're not keeping possession well enough. So we'll go longer. It's a safer option, you know, as a defender, that's generally what you would think. So I think that's probably played a part in it, that the midfield just didn't influence proceedings enough. If you look at the outfield team, I think it's, the, with the exception of two players, I think it's the same outfield team that started against England at Wembley. Um, the, 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 two, the two exceptions being Hickey and Cooper. I think I'm right in saying that the rest mm -hmm. of the team was the same. Obviously, the goalkeeper was different, but the outfield ten. There was eight of those outfield ten on the park in the starting lineup. So, and if you if you go back to that England game, the one thing that Scotland did really well was they kept the ball. They played through midfield. There was little triangles. There was one touch, two touch, bounced out to a wing back, back into a midfielder, out to the other side. You know, switching play from side to side and moving England around, and that was why they had so much success. So it's difficult to understand why that didn't happen last night. Um, other than the reasons we've already discussed about fatigue and and Ukraine being just a bit fresher. I don't, I don't want to um, stick the boot into us too much uh, in terms of the fans, but I wonder if this Scotland team is more comfortable playing away from home. Uh, some of our biggest and best results have, have been away from Hamden, Vienna, um, and Serbia, Wembley. I know that we ran over Denmark um, towards the end of last year, but in that instance, I would say that we'd sealed the playoff place Already, I don't think there was enough, as much pressure riding on that game. Now, I'm not tarring everyone with the same brush here, but I felt that the crowd last night was nervous, very nervous, um, especially at nil-nil. If there was a loose pass here or there, um, the crowd were groaning. There were a, a, a few boos at times. Uh, there was a guy next to me. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure he was an extreme case. He was shouting on. This was at 1-0 Ukraine shouting on to the players that they should be ashamed and they should be hanging their heads and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, come on. It's 1-0 with an hour of the game left to go. And I'm, of course, they can't hear that guy in isolation, but that sort of attitude can filter through a crowd. And I think when Ukraine scored the second, it took us a long time to get 
on the players uh, to get on the side of the players again. There was McGregor's hunting down of the ball when it, the keeper tried to clear it and it just bounced off him and went over the bar. That ignited a bit of spark in us. But until that point, um, I think that the players can feel that tension and nerves coming down from the stand. And I wonder if that's why maybe they're afraid of making mistakes. They're not as keen to receive the ball. And maybe away from home when they're in somebody else's backyard, Alan, you know, they don't feel that same pressure or tension because they don't have 40 or 50,000 Scotland fans ready to pounce if, if they don't take a perfect touch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one extreme to the other. You go to Serbia away with no fans and then at home to Hamden. Um, they, they surely they, they get around to their experiences there. But I think, I mean, the way we play, ultimately, it's a more defensive formation. Um, and so if you're away from home, of course, you're probably more comfortable um, sitting back, waiting for your time, getting on the counter. I think last night, um, we that, that nervous energy, I felt it. I mean, the fans behind me, I mean, a lot of them were sort of, a lot a few of them, they didn't know Hickey's name, so they were just shouting about number 22 every time he passed the ball back. Um, but from my point of view, the way we watched it, it was... The, the way he was being given the ball, a lot of the time he was doing well just to keep possession or win a foul. Um, it was difficult on that right-hand side, but that's what Ukraine do so well. I mean, we talk about how Ukraine uh, managed to bypass our midfield so often. It was the space between the back five and the strikers, um, McGinn and the two forwards. And it was leaving Gilmore um, and McGregor with so much space to cover, and they just couldn't do it. There was absolutely no way they could do it. And then you've got players with the quality of Zinchenko who can straight away see passes and channels and, and he was making those moves forward. Um, so um, whether the energy as it carried on affected the players more and more. It def- I mean, you talk about a young player like Hickey, it must have affected them um, as it went on. Um, and I, I did feel a couple of moments. I think um, Adam had a shot, um, which actually watching on the highlights back, it was a, it was a good save um, from Bushan. Um, and uh, there was a couple of moments like McGregor, like chasing down, chasing down the ball to get the block off the bar was a big moment, just in terms of getting energy for, to, towards the fans again. And then, of course, um, McGinn's header and then uh, McGregor's, McGregor's goal. So uh, McGregor, in terms of trying to galvanise the fans a little, um, I mean, he did it to us against Croatia um, in the Euros. He gave us that bit of... But a lifeline, I didn't feel like we deserved it just before half time there. And he did a, did a job to get to us again, but ultimately it was just a bit, it was too little too late. Are, are we too impatient, Ben, as a fan base at Hamden in terms of wanting Scotland to go and grab the opposition by the throat or take the lead? Do we need to be a bit more forgiving or understanding? Or do you think that that was justified last night? And by that, I mean, I would say probably the the silence and the nervous energy that was kind of being transmitted around the stands. I think the trouble with Hamden is there's so much emotional baggage with it. You know, we've been, we've had so many qualifiers, especially like the last qualifier of a group stage where we've known that we've had to win or we've had to draw and we've not done it. So I think that's almost like you've always been stung. So you know that there's a chance that it's going to happen again. It's very hard to, uh, to ignore that and totally brush over it. Um, the, the players have had similar. My, my hope was that this group have they've had a bit more success. We we have won big games. Admittedly, some of them have been on penalties, but it's we've still won big games. Um, 
But the issue at the moment is, you know, you look at the Euros home games, we didn't really show up. That game just there, we really, really didn't show up. So that, that's a real big issue going forward for me. I think we'd be lacking a little bit of leadership, especially in midfield. One player that I really thought we missed was Ryan Jack. I think that midfield was crying out for a Ryan Jack to come in, a bit of steel and a bit of composure on the ball to keep the ball because we just, no one was putting their foot in it in midfield. And I think Jack, it was unfortunate that he missed out Having he did well in the Scottish Cup final, I thought he was going to be back for that game, and it was. I felt like we missed him. Barry, can you draw any correlation with that then, or do you think it's just pure coincidence that three of our best results recently, taking away the Denmark game, have been away from home in London, Vienna, uh, and in Serbia, and our three biggest disappointments have been at Hamden, two in the group stage of the Euros, and then last night. Yeah. I certainly think that the the way they play away from home is more suited to Lyndon Dykes, or at least Lyndon Dykes being in the team has more of an effect away from home than it does at home. Uh, I, would, I would certainly say that much. Whether you can say, I mean, I don't, I don't think, I think Hamden's an advantage for Scotland overall. I genuinely feel that because you know the, the, the playing surface is generally one of the bigger surfaces you've got. Most of the time, you've got a decent support behind you, certainly in the bigger games. So that should be inspiring people. But if there isn't... See, we seem to play a little better at Hamden with either Dykes or Adams up front and two guys in behind him. Like so what you were saying earlier, then does, does McGinn need Christie in behind him? Sort of a 3-4-2-1 system. Does that suit us better at home? Maybe. Um, the Denmark game would probably suggest it does. Because uh, that was that was the way they set up that night, I think. So, yeah, I think I, I don't have a problem adapting the formation. You know, if we're going away from home and it's three, four, one, two, fine, and it's Dykes and Adams, and we're a little bit longer and a little bit more direct. And then if it's at home and you're changing it slightly, it's three, four, two, one. I don't mind that too much, but I don't think um, this is where the Tierney issue comes in. I, I don't think that you can say, "Oh well, if Tierney's not fit and he's and he's and he's out." Then we're not playing a back three, we're going to a four. And then you play the back three when Tierney's in there. I just I think that's probably too much chopping and changing. Um, but that's why Steve Clark gets paid the big money and we just sit here and talk about it for fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the two up front then, I think, as I've touched on a few times, people are enticed by that idea. But Christy, when he comes on and plays behind one striker, I don't think Christie ever really lets Scotland down. He's one of these guys that no matter how he's doing at club level, you can see he's got that fire in his belly when he comes onto the park for Scotland. He's keen to grab the game by the scruff of the neck and make things happen, Alan. He's been taken in and out of the team for big occasions. I remember he was uh, he didn't play in the final two games of the Euros group stage. I don't think he came on. He certainly didn't start against England or Croatia. Um and then last night when he came on, similarly to Russia a few years ago, the game at Hamden when they beat us 2-1, he's quite good at influencing a game, Ryan Christie. You notice a difference when Christie comes on the park. So do you think that's where he's best utilised for us, an impact player, someone that we can count on to come on and drag everyone up by their bootlaces? Or do you think that he should be starting for Scotland in midfield? <laughs> it's, it's a really good question because... Christie, when he came on, um, not right away, but he, he 
gradually gained more confidence in the game. And you saw he was a player that wanted to drive at the defence and wanted to take people on um, in a way that we we hadn't really seen from from Adams and Dykes um, until that point. Um, he started games in the past and, and done that for 80, 90 minutes. And, uh, but I think in, in terms of we, we, what, we, what happened, I think, when, when he came on, initially we switched to um, from the two up top to um, we, we had uh, McGinn and Christian behind Adams and they obviously they went 2-0 down and had to switch to that back four. And then he they went either side and that, he seemed to, ex, well, I wouldn't say excel, but they created chances. I mean, I had that, that one where he cut inside. Um, I can't remember who took out the game. I think it was Michael Enko. And then um, slid a ball... Uh, slid the ball in it. Did he slide it in Adams and Adam had his shot or he slid it in it was cut back but mm. some really good moves he was doing uh, and again it just kind of gave that a bit of energy at the forward line um, we don't have a great deal of players that can do that I mean that's why players I guess um, Barry will know but people are calling for Mackay um, to get a look in you've got guys looking at right um, other sorts of players that can maybe give you that a little bit something extra up top um, I think he's uh, depends who you're playing. He's, he's good enough to start and play that for ninety minutes in support and role. Um, but he's even even based on last night, he gave us something. Um, so he, he's definitely um, he makes for a good impact player. Ben, I don't want to dwell too much on this, but I, I feel like we probably should at least address it because people are are talking about it. Um, and I think the case would probably be different if we'd won. This would kind of be a non-event. We'd maybe be laughing about it, but. Uh, Andy Robertson, obviously, a couple of days ago was on the Liverpool party bus after the Champions League final. A couple of pictures have, have started circulating, which with well, the stills anyway seem to suggest that he's had more than one beer, two beers. Now, Clark's downplayed this pretty emphatically. Um, I've seen a few people saying that Andy Robertson wouldn't, wouldn't have been caught dead drinking a few beers publicly three days before the Champions League final. Why did he feel comfortable doing it three days before Scotland's biggest qualifying game in, in a, well, set apart from Serbia at Hamden anyway since Italy in 2007? Is this something that is really a, a non-talking point or do we have to question why Robertson felt that was an A-OK move? No, I, I don't think the optics are particularly good. I think, especially as he's captain, there's something about when you're captain, you really have to set the standards. And for me, getting on the bus, you know, I'll get on the bus for Calvin Harris, that's totally fine. Have a boogie, you know, that's that's fine. But to to be drinking from what it looked like, definitely more than one. You could be, okay, one or two beers, but there's no way that a professional athlete should be drinking that much before a massive game. There's no way that that isn't going to have some sort of impact on your ability to play to your to the best of your ability for 90 minutes, maybe into extra time. Having literally just played the Champions League final as well, which would have been emotionally and physically draining. So I think it should be talked about. And I think there's maybe a lesson to learn in terms of if you're part of, if you're a captain or part of the leadership group, it's probably not the best thing to do just before a humongous game it's fair enough if it's a, if it's a like a group game something like that but this was a this was a humongous game and i think it was a bit of a misstep and if he'd played if he played brilliantly and he'd, he'd had an absolute worldie then a, you know no one would be saying anything but to be fair he didn't have his best game he ran the ball out a couple of times he didn't look like the player that we know he can be so i think all of that added up i don't think it was it was a brilliant move from him Barry, does this maybe have to go down as a some sort of lesson learned for Robertson? 
Yeah, I think so. Um, I think if you were to ask him, I think he would probably be saying now, well, yeah, what doing that publicly wasn't the best idea. And if he could turn the clock back, he'd probably do it differently. If he's having a couple of beers after a Champions League final, it's not ideal when you've got a massive Scotland game a couple of days later. And to do it, in, if you're doing it in private, that's one thing. But then to do it so publicly as well kind of made it worse, I think. So, yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised when I saw that. Um, and I, and I can't, you can't disagree with people who say that he wouldn't have done it if it had been the other way about and it was a couple of days before a, a big Liverpool game, be it a Champions League final or, or anything else. So, yeah... Um, I would hope he does learn the lesson. And I think he will. He's a, he's a clever guy. He's a switched-on guy. I don't think it's a mistake he'll make twice. Does it set the tone for the week, Alan? I actually said in the, in the build-up to it, I was worried that a few people, not within the camp, but generally were underestimating Ukraine a bit, forgetting that they reached the quarters of the Euros last year and were, on, were only done by a really on-form England team. Did it, do you think, maybe underline that people thought us beating Ukraine was going to be a, a foregone conclusion, you know, we've got a, a team that's just off the back of six wins in a row, we've just pumped Denmark. Do you think that that had any sort of impact on the build-up to the game generally? The fact that Andy Robertson could be seen just well, I don't want, I don't want to say getting drunk, but enjoying himself with a few beers um, after the, or on the bus parade on the Sunday when he's probably in Scotland training on the Monday, days prep on the Tuesday, and then game Wednesday. Yeah, um, I think from from someone who's obviously been following a lot of the news and looking at the Ukraine team, um, you were we knew they were prepared. We, um, however, I guess the general feeling was that this is a team who are undergoing something awful, um, and a lot of them haven't played. I think six starters uh, in the Ukrainian side um, they hadn't played any competitive football since the start of the war. Um, they had they had played in the friendlies. Um, I think Ukraine had a their tour um, where they played Empoli um, and uh, Rijeka and a few other teams. Um, so they played football, and then uh, and then Shakhtar again. They played a run of friendlies um, against European teams. So a lot of the players had played football since maybe the end of March, beginning of April, albeit not competitive. So I guess there was this assumption amongst a lot of the fans that you're playing a team who are not prepared. Um, it should it should be a case of a good Scotland team who are so confident. I think that was the thing for us. We came away, the friendlies maybe dampened it a little, both being draws. Um, however, we kind of just put that away and said, oh, it's just the nature of it. It's, it's a fundraiser for the Poland game and it doesn't matter so much. Um, but I definitely think that there was a, a bit of um, naivety um, and sort of and I guess it probably comes down to as well the way Ukraine got put out of the Euros. Um, I mean, they've had some big results since then. I mean, they've beaten the likes of Finland and um, beaten France, I think, as well. Um, but obviously they got beat 4-0 in the Euros quite emphatically of England. And I guess if we've got our 0-0 draw, it's maybe just looking at those two results and saying, well, we're a better side than them. Um, Ukraine are a good side. And under Shevchenko, they were they were really good to sort of watch and they played good football. Um, and they didn't play too differently to the way they played against us. Um, so yeah, I think just naivety. That's all it was. All it was. Now, as always, after a disappointing or emphatic defeat for Scotland in important circumstances, there's always chat about the manager. Um, should he stay or go? Do you think that 
I certainly do, that that's more than just one step too far, Ben, after this, because although we have been uh, unceremoniously really dumped out of this playoff by Ukraine, the squad has shown growth, progression, unity at times throughout that qualifying campaign, and it makes sense for that to continue into the Nations League and into the qualifiers for Euro 2024. Is it is it just a bit of, you know, it's extreme reactivism or revisionism straight away after the defeat and people calling for, for Clark to either be sacked or for that to be considered anyway? Yeah, I think it's pretty harsh for me to, to lay last night on Clark. I actually think the players let him down a little bit. He's been very, very loyal to a lot of these players and they, they know this system inside out. So I think he pretty much played the team that most of us would have and it just didn't happen on the night. I think no, no manager should ever be you know safe forever. And this is a lot of big games now where for, there are certain tactical things that I think he has got wrong in each game where you know, you have to consider it, but I think it would be harsh not to give him the Euros. I think he should definitely get this next Euros campaign. Um, he's proven that he can get us playing. I think what 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 yesterday really showed for me is that if we don't have our best eleven, we are, we aren't at the level of the likes of Ukraine. That's that's just where we are. So it's still a case of we need a manager to make us play above ourselves. And for me, Clark has shown that he can do that. So I think I'm hoping that he's going to learn a bit from from this, like he did from the Euros as well. And, you know, hopefully we'll see some some progress. Well, where do you stand on this then, Barry? So Ben's saying that he hopes Clark learns from this. What what does he need to learn from, from this game? I think he needs to learn how to play without Tierney. And that's probably a, the, the million-dollar question for Scotland. How do you how do you cope without him? And it shouldn't be about one, one player. It's, it, there's... You know, there's umpteen good players in that Scotland squad. But it's clear if you're going to play a back three and Tierney isn't there, who's who's the deputy? It's got to be somebody similar to that who can have a similar effect on the games, I think. Um, but I totally agree with Ben. I think he deserves to stay on. I think he's been a good Scotland manager overall. Uh, some of the results and performances that we've had, particularly away from home, weren't happening previously under under Gordon Strachan, under Craig Levine before that, under George Burley, you can go back for, for years and years. Um, we got routinely gubbed away from home, as I'm sure we all remember. So there's been <laughs> enormous improvement in that sense. Uh, and we now go away from home and generally make a game of it most of the time. So uh, I think he deserves the next campaign. Uh, he has to come up with an issue, a, a solution, sorry, for the Tierney issue. He has to come up with something a little bit different up front because going long to Dykes, if that's what... I'm not suggesting that was the instruction. Maybe it was the instruction, but I don't think that would have been the the the, the main tactic for last night. As I said, it might have been dictated by, by the midfield, just not influencing the game enough. But you have to come up with a little bit more than that up front. Um, and I would also like to see him be just a little bit more brave if that's the right word to use when we do go a goal down I'm not saying it needs to be panic stations but when we're, when we're a goal down and we're getting outplayed don't wait till we're two down because you know yourself when, for a Scotland team when you're two down most of the time you're, you're losing the game uh, so I'd like when we go a goal down if we are getting outplayed make the changes a little bit earlier um, get someone on up front who a Ross Stewart for example somebody who maybe just would offer something a little bit different uh, 
so I think yeah, there's definitely things for him to learn. But there's I, I don't I'm, I absolutely totally disagree with these uh, people. We'll use that word people that, that seem to think that sacking Steve Clark is a solution to all this because we've lost one game. Uh, I'm just I'm not having it. Yeah, Alan, are those opinions filled filled by emotion really more than logic or reason? In the in the immediate aftermath of a stinging loss. Yeah, I mean, I want to say that there's, I want to say there is a a faction of the support who want. But as soon as as soon as Scotland lose, they're waiting for Clark uh, in terms of to come out and and criticise him because I mean it's not aggressive, uh, over the top uh, attacking football that's going to win you games six nil, um, but in terms of what he's done for us. I mean, yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. It's reactionism. It's a bit of um, emotion right after a defeat, um, which we all wanted to win. Um, it's as simple as that. Uh, since since the Russia game, we haven't lost a game by more than two goals. And last the last goal last night, I don't even count because it was, I mean, it was it was a chaos at that point. Um, but um, in terms of what he's done for the side and what he's done over the last even the last twelve months, he, he is gradually changing the personnel. We're going. We're going through a shift. Um, whether the, this Euros uh, or this Nations League campaign is maybe going to be a, a bigger shift than we anticipated, a new cycle, um, perhaps. Um, he's shown that he's he is adapting the side as he goes through. Obviously, what we're hoping now to see is that he he just learns from that defeat I and mean, he takes takes away some lessons. And um, whether that is looking at a new strike partnership or a new system without Tierney, as long as he takes something, then we see over the course of the Nations League games um, that he's reacting to it, then uh, I, have no, I have no issue with Clark staying in the job. I mean, I think he'll see us to Euro um, 24. What about the, the games coming up? We'll, we'll do a separate build-up to the Armenia game closer to the time because we might have more people pulling out the squads, maybe a few more introductions, and maybe it will be Stephen Kingsley, Barry McKay, Scott Wright, people like these, maybe even Ryan Gold, I doubt it, um, coming into the team. But I think that some boys in the squad already will probably be afforded game time regardless. Um, I can't see Clark, or, and I wouldn't expect him or hope, or hope him to, but play a, like a completely um, rehashed second string just for the sake of it because we've been knocked out of the playoff. But I think maybe people like Jacob Brown, maybe people like Lewis Ferguson, maybe Ross Stewart even might get a bit more game time. Barry, is there anyone in particular that you'd like to see um, given a chance or a few more minutes because I suppose last night for example Big Grant Hanley was thrown up top for the last five, six, seven minutes when, when we had two more subs left to make and Ross Stewart was on the bench Yeah, well I mentioned Stewart a minute ago Andy, that's right um, I would have liked to have seen him thrown in there last night if, if we could have got him on the pitch um, or even Jacob Brown uh, I think that we need Scotland have never had loads of attacking options, let's be honest, as a, as a nation. We're never a team that's been scoring loads of goals. So the more different types that we can get involved up front, I think the better for us. And I think that will happen because last night was the biggest the biggest game of all, obviously. And then he wanted to go with the tried and trusted and that, that I get that. And I think we can all understand that. You know, Steve Clark, that's the way that he is and he's loyal and he, and he wants people out there that he can trust. So I understand why he would do that. But I certainly think it's a time for for a, for a Christie. I mean, Jacob Brown's got a lot of pace. I'd like to see I'd like to see us play in a style that can utilise 
that pace, whether it be up front or out wide? Could we play a, a system where you've got, you know, you generally go, if it's, if it's three, four, one, two, so when the, the opposition has got the ball, you're, you're kind of trying to press them in if they've got the, if their goalkeeper's got the ball and you end up almost with three up front. It's like a front three with a false nine. Can we play like that a little bit more? Can we get our forwards a little bit wider? You know, Jacob Brown one side, and maybe Ryan Christie the other side and someone, you know, an Armstrong in the hole, something like that, uh, just to try and give ourselves different options. I do think that at times we, last night we did look far too predictable. So we've got a chance. Armenia at home, it's never a given with Scotland, but really we should be capable of beating Armenia at Hamden. So um, I'm not suggesting we can take them lightly or just make daft changes here and there, but it should be the opportunity to experiment with a couple of things and try and, as we say, learn some lessons and uh, identify some things that work or indeed don't work for going forward. I think maybe last night, Ben, there was a boy in the squad that maybe we could have done with in midfield in terms of closing down and getting in the faces of the Ukrainians. Alan Campbell, you saw quite a lot of them in your job as uh, when you were working for the Wishaw Press paper. We're all delighted to see how well he's doing down at Luton. I think he won three or four individual awards at the club as they reached the playoffs this season. Maybe time for Campbell to get a few caps under his belt. And I don't say, you know, get a few caps under his belt to try and diminish the importance of the upcoming games because it could count towards our potential qualification for Euro 2024. But I don't think it would be a huge risk to introduce Alan Campbell into midfield if we are in a game where we're being overrun or we need to apply a bit more pressure. Yeah, honestly, last night was you just crying out for someone like Alan Campbell to just come and take uh, the game by the scruff of the neck. And I was surprised. I don't even think he was on the bench when I looked, um, which I was surprised at because if you called him up, and he's, he is clearly good enough. And I think we joked before that he's got about a million caps for the under-21s, but he's desperate to play for Scotland. And um, and he's got so much quality in midfield. I would like to see a bit more, some, something else in midfield, because I actually think Gilmore and McGregor were maybe just a wee bit too similar last night. And they were too easily, too easy to get past. There was a few times that McGinn and McGregor, you know, Ukraine just walks past them and then you're running into the defence. Um, with men over so yeah I think a few more midfield options would be great Ryan Jack will obviously come back in and be a really good option um, but yeah the Armenia game is really big I think we for Clark to keep that sort of good feel fact the feel good factor that he had built I think if he loses another one or two that's when the pressure could really start to mount so I, I think the first Armenia game is actually really important. Well the, the, that's that's an important point Ben I think that I, I would I wouldn't like to go as far as even saying that the swell of opinion is one that's on the fence because I think most people still have quite rightly Clark's back given the way that he has made us harder to beat for the for the most part. But remember um, after the Serbia game, we did go on a wee unbeaten, uh, sorry, we did go on a, a wee run where we didn't win a game from maybe eight matches or so because um, we, we blew the Nations League group. We had a couple of disappointing results. Um, and at that point, Clark, Denmark beat us comfortably 2-0 over there. And I think it was after that that Clark got his new contract to take him through to the end of 2024. And at that point, there were a few people, and, and us included in the podcast, saying, is this the right time to give the manager a new deal when the whole qualification process here is in the balance? He managed to turn the balance around and went on that amazing unbeaten run um, to get us to the playoffs. Um, but I think if, say we maybe pick up only three points here, Alan, 
in the next couple of in the next three Nations League games, two against Armenia and one against Ireland. It might be a harder um, mindset for him to turn around this time because he's not that new in the job anymore. He's not new in the job anymore. Um, yeah, I completely agree that that would apply pressure. Whether that would be enough to uh, force a change is a different story. It's something we had to talk about at the time, but I, I think I think we should be getting nine points in these three games, and anything less than that has to be seen as a, a slight setback. We need to really be looking at these three three games. Um, Armenia are a good side, uh, and they can put up trouble. They've beaten Montenegro, they've beaten North Macedonia in the past, so they're they're, in, they're, they're a good side. But they've just been beaten nine 0 by Norway, so we need to have them at home and really really go for it. Obviously, Erling, Erling Haaland had three goal involvements, so we could do with him. But um, uh, uh, I think the opportunity here is to put to bed that performance, say whatever excuses the team have, um, and then just say that. We've not gone backwards, we've learned, um, we've got nine points here. If we get seven, that's possibly uh, a saving face. Um, but if we were to if we were to lose two of them, like like you said there, um you can't the way we played against Ukraine, you can't look at that and say that that's progress. I know we got to this stage, but there's a we need to react. We absolutely need to react. Yeah, Barry, we can't afford a glass ceiling of progress where you know, we qualify for one Euros, we go on a good unbeaten run, thump Denmark at Hamden uh, performance-wise, if not result, and then think, oh, you know what, that's that's good enough for us. No, absolutely not. Um, and particularly going into these games, it's quite easy. I've seen some things online on, on Twitter in the last kind of 24 hours when people talking about the Nations League and replies saying, oh, it's Nations League, you know, who gives a toss about that type thing. This is hugely important. For the next couple of tournaments, as we all know, in terms of getting uh, getting playoff places and getting if you can, if you can, if you can win your group, that is, and you get in a position where you're you've got that that safety net, so that if you don't make it through the actual qualifiers for Euro 2024 or World Cup 2026, then you've got potentially that that safety net where you've got the playoff place already secured. Uh, so these are massive games, I think. I don't think anybody who actually understands how these tournaments work now, I don't think you can say that anything other than massive games. So you have to get momentum going. You have to get your... And that's a challenge for professional footballers. It's, you can pay them all the money that you want, but when you're down and you've suffered a result like Scotland suffered last night and the morale's taking a hit and you're on the floor a little bit, somebody somewhere, whether it be a manager, a coach, a captain a kit man, whoever, somebody's got to pick you up off the floor. And if, they, if, if nobody's around to do it, you have to pick yourself up off the floor. And that's an, off, an enormous challenge for any footballer. And it's certainly a challenge for these Scotland players right now because if we don't beat Armenia next Wednesday, then people will be gunning for Steve Clark. And you could partly understand that if that's what transpires. I don't think it will. I genuinely think Scotland are a better team than Armenia and will beat them next Wednesday but it's never going to be straightforward because it's Scotland at the end of the day Well I'll make this last talking point Ben Barry's talking about being picked up off the floor I said in the live stream we did on Twitter um, on the day, the day before the game I think it was that I I know that footballers and managers and club staff and all that they, they sometimes speak in cliches you can script our press conference and stuff before they've even opened their mouth but the way that the Scotland team recently has spoken about growth, progress, brotherhood and all the rest of it, 
I've actually genuinely believed that, that they believe in their ability and their togetherness to support each other. You know, the guy next year is the one that you'd want in the trenches and all that stuff. I, I think that has been genuine and the, the proof that we've seen in some big games has shown that. Wembley, Vienna, Denmark, etc. But last night, all that, all that, and I'm a big believer in actions speak louder than words. I didn't, didn't see it, especially when Ukraine scored their second. I felt like any win that we had remaining in us was completely knocked out of it until we managed to find a wee bit of something when it was far too late. Yeah, I think that was the most shocking thing about last night was that it just it really did come out of nowhere, that performance. It's such a shame that it came at such an important point. But as you say, before the press and the battling and everything was all there and it just wasn't there last night. And I'm, I'm, I don't want to give them an easy out, but I don't know how much of the Ukraine situation, the fact that it was postponed, the fact that it was the end of the season. I do think the timing was against us in that. Obviously, it doesn't compare to what Ukraine have gone through. But it did. It wasn't in our favour those changes, and yeah, I I really hope that it was just a blip. And you know, Ukraine obviously had they, that's the most motivated team you're probably ever going to get on a football pitch. They were absolutely desperate, desperate to win that game, and I think that showed. I think as well as the quality, they had that added, you know, determination and will to win. And I think that just edged it edged us. And I don't think we really re- reacted to it or responded to it. And I'm hoping that that was just a one-off. Once we go back to what we call normal games, then hopefully that sort of unity and strength will be back in our squad because it has been in in the last at least year or two. Yeah, well, sadly, it disappeared um, on the most important or what could have been the second most important night of all. Um, So we'll call it a day. They are disappointing, extremely disappointing result for Scotland and performance against Ukraine. No prospect of the World Cup, but as we've just been talking about, Nations League underway in under a week now, so we'll do something uh, maybe Monday, Sunday, Monday to look forward to that once we've got a clearer idea of any players that have left the squad or been introduced to the squad and we'll look ahead to the Armenia game. But Ben, Alan, Barry, thanks very much for joining me. I hope this has been a cathartic process for you trying to pick the bones of, of last night and hopefully we won't have to do it again over the next few weeks. All right, cheers. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed listening to all of you guys. Thanks very much. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Cheers, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network.